Go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Have you ever heard thunder that just keeps on going? I don't understand the science behind that. I understand things echoing off of hard surfaces. I get that. But what causes thunder up in the sky to just keep on echoing over and over and over again? It's amazing. And it's it's a tribute to the loudness of the original sound and, and just the disturbance of the air around it as the lightning splits the sky and the air is disturbed and it comes back together in a thunderclap and it just keeps on reverberating on and on and on. You know, every once in a while in history, someone becomes a Christian, is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and they become this ongoing echo of the thunderous gospel of Jesus Christ. I came across a story of two women, Perpetua and Felicity, around 200 AD. One of them was a rich, wealthy socialite. The other was a slave. And both were imprisoned for their faith. They were brutally tortured and humiliated. All the while praising God, holding on to their faith, refusing to recant of their testimony of trust in Jesus Christ. Eventually, they were put into the Roman arena and fed to wild beasts. And their story, their testimony, rippled out in their world. And many people held on to the truth of Jesus, came to know Jesus Christ because of these two women. Another one I found in history, maybe you're a little more familiar with, little-known guy by the name of John Newton. 18th century slave trainer, slave trader. His business was selling human beings for profit. A horrible person, a horrible trade. And yet, he came to faith in Jesus Christ and wrote the words to the song that Hazel just played for us on the piano Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And the gospel rings out in these people's lives. It echoes forth from these changed people that we would look at and say, there's no way that person could become a Christian. And then they do, and people take notice. I think we hear stories like this, accounts like this from history, and we think, that's so amazing. Isn't it amazing what God can do through some people? Isn't it amazing what God does through those other people? Wouldn't it be great if there was someone now like that, that the gospel could ring out from their life too? Wouldn't that be great? But boy, it's too bad we don't have those people today. We wonder, we wait, and we hope maybe God will raise up someone to be that kind of an example. The gospel is the good news of salvation from God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, taking our place, our punishment, died in our place, rose from the dead, and offers eternal life to all who believe. A new life, a changed life, the way God created us to be. Being remade, reborn, reshaped into who God created us to be. The gospel changes people. And today, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. 
And we're going to see a pattern that those changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they become the John Newtons. They become the perpetuas and felicities that ring out the gospel in the world. And as we long for and hope for these examples in our world of somebody whose life is changed by Jesus Christ so that others would take notice, hopefully in this passage, you will understand you're it. We are the ones. If we are saved by Jesus Christ, then our life will be changed by Jesus Christ and we become a living proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the echoing of the thunder of the gospel goes on and on and on throughout history. So as we come to this passage, I want to talk first about what is the source. All sound has a starting point. What's the source of the thunderous gospel? Who gets the credit for the very beginning? If you're there already, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul has heard, just to give you a little bit of background here, he planted this church in Thessalonica, and then he had to leave. We'll talk about that more in a second. But he's heard now that they're doing really great. They're living and trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their testimony is ringing out, he'll say later on, through the surrounding area. But what is the source? Where does he give credit for all of the good things that are going on in the church in Thessalonica? And in this uh, this passage, Paul's praying and thanking God. In fact, if you back up to verse 2, we looked at this last week. But Paul starts by saying in this letter, we always thank God for all of you. Continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. In the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's naming these things that they're doing great at. And he's going to say those things over and over again throughout this letter. You guys are doing really good in your walk with Jesus Christ. You're doing great at living out your faith. But look at how he starts the prayer. We always thank God for all of you. That's interesting because they're the ones doing a good job. They're the ones suffering and persecution and holding on to their faith and living out their faith. They're the ones spreading the gospel. Shouldn't he say, hey, we really thank you guys for the great work that you're doing. But no, because Paul understands something. The starting point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is always God. So that God always gets the credit for the change in our lives. So Paul starts by giving credit where credit is due. He says, we always thank God. This is an important biblical truth in understanding what it means to be a a Christian. In Scripture, God always gets the credit for someone's life being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always because of God. He is the source of the sound. Our lives are the echoes of the impact in this world. Let's go to our text for today. Look down at verse 4. If we look down at verse 4, Paul is thank God in verse 2. And then in verse 4, he starts and and he says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. So right away, he he identifies them. And we almost gloss over this language. Um, Did any, any of you grow up like in a tradition where in church they would call each other brother and sister? Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I grew up in that tradition. And I didn't understand it. Like, I didn't know why. It was just what you did at church. 
but it's a reflection. I'm not saying we have to do that, but it's a reflection of this idea that church is a new family in our new identity. God has loved us and brought us together in Jesus Christ. Something different is going on. And throughout scripture, this, this difference is often talked about in terms of family and specifically in terms of adoption. God has adopted us into his family. Now, in adoption, at least with a very young child, the child doesn't choose the parents. The parents choose the child. And in this situation, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. God has chosen them. Now, we struggle with this. He says it at the end of verse 4, crystal clear there. He has chosen you. This is hard for us to accept. But I think it becomes easier and more clear when we truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at some passages from another letter from Paul. If you go to Ephesians, you don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen for you. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Listen to how he describes us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul's talking about here that we are not just people that need a little help. We are not people that just need to be taught how to think differently. We are dead people that need to be brought back to life. We are rebels who deserve to be judged. When we understand the heart and soul of the gospel, we are people who are completely hopeless and helpless, except for the fact that God steps in and he shows mercy and amazing grace, as John Newton wrote. Amazing grace. He goes on in chapter 1, or if we go back to chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, Paul says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure and his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So it's so interesting in this letter where Paul is praising these people for their strong faith and how they're living out their faith. He starts by saying, all credit goes to God. All credit. Now listen, we all probably have stories. If you're a Christian, you have a a testimony. You have a time in your life when you understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and your need for it. And maybe you have a story of of praying a prayer or coming forward during a church service or kneeling with someone and, and praying and saying, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's wonderful. We all have to come to that point, be convinced of that truth and respond in that way. But then as we dig into scripture, we equally have to understand all credit for our decision goes to God we would be unable to make that decision except for the fact that God shows us mercy and grace. Now, there are some trouble 
there's some problems with this that people will say. Some people will say, well, if God chooses us, then we need to live in fear. What if he hasn't chosen me? Number one, the dead person is not sitting around wondering why he's not alive. He's just dead. The rebel is not sitting around wondering if he should be doing otherwise. He believes or she believes they're doing exactly what they should be doing. They are fully and firmly convinced. The attitude of, I want God to accept me, is evidence in and of itself that God is at work in your life. Some people will also take this too far and they'll say, well, if God chooses, if he has made choices, as Paul says, that he has chosen you, well, then it doesn't matter what we do. We're going to live however we want. Oh my goodness, the book of 1 Thessalonians is such a powerful testimony that that is not the way this works. Because Paul is going to encourage them in how they are already living and challenge them to do so more. A true understanding of giving God all the credit for our salvation will always lead to us living changed lives for the glory of God. The thunderous truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that echoes out into this world and has continued to echo since the time of Jesus is all because of God's work first. And he gets all the glory. This is so freeing. I know some people look at this and say, well, it's hard and and it doesn't seem fair, but it's actually so freeing, especially as we live in such a way that we want other people to come to know Jesus Christ. What a blessing to know that the ultimate salvation of that person doesn't actually depend on us. Oh, God uses us as he sees fit, but we can trust him. God is in charge and he is in control. This was such a huge deal for Paul. Paul lived his life thinking he had everything right. He had it all figured out. He was a prominent Jewish scholar and leader. He had it all figured out. And then one day he came to the realization he didn't have anything figured out. Because he realized this person that he thought was a rebel and a sinner, this guy, Jesus, was actually the son of God and had resurrected from the dead. And he was the true Messiah. And then Paul was given a mission. A mission to go into the Gentile world. Those that were not Jewish. Those that didn't accept the Old Testament. He was to go into that world and preach and teach the gospel. I mean, talk about being set up for failure. How was Paul supposed to do this? But Paul understood that every step of the way, all he had to do was show up and be faithful. Whether or not those people's lives were changed was God's job. God's role. And the gospel thunders forth because of the work of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then there are these echoes, these reverberations, if you will, these shockwaves that go out. Just to remind you a little bit of Paul's background and his his ministry in Thessalonica before this letter is written. He suffered in the city in Philippi before going to Thessalonica. He had to flee Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica. A crowd rises up against him. He has to flee again. He goes to Berea. A crowd from Thessalonica that's still mad at him. They couldn't let it go. They chase him to Berea. They cause trouble for him in Berea. 
So here he is just trying to be faithful, just trying to do the right thing, just trying to do what God had told him to do. And city after city after city, his life is on the line, his life is threatened, and often he has to flee. And by the time he writes this letter, he had he had to flee far away, and he didn't know if that city, uh, the church was still going on, if it was still surviving, or if it had closed up and just folded and they had given in to the pressure of their culture. He didn't know. And he hears news that they're doing great. Look at verses 5 and 6, because we see a window into how Paul sees his ministry. And I love this. It says in verses 5 and 6, it says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's going to go into how they received the gospel, and we'll look at that in a moment. But, but he gives us an inkling into his own ministry and how he understands it. First of all, he calls it our gospel. He says, this is the truth we came and preached to you. Paul's going to come under a lot of fire, as he did so, uh, so many other times throughout the Roman world and these other cities. He came under a lot of fire for what he was preaching. And people would say, oh, Paul, you're being selfish. Oh, Paul, you're making this up. Oh, you're just doing this for, for money. He says, no, no, the gospel I preached to you was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he owned that gospel so much that he said, this is our gospel. He's not saying I made it up or it originated with me, but he's saying I was the messenger that brought it to you. And he says it came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. What's he talking about here? It's interesting because the book of Acts has a lot of times when Paul would go to a city or another apostle and there'd be some amazing miracle, a healing, somebody risen from the dead, people speaking in tongues, all these signs and wonders. It happens from time to time in the book of Acts. There is no record in the book of Acts of any of that happening in Thessalonica. Now, maybe it did and they just didn't write it down. I don't know. But I wonder if we can kind of figure out what Paul is talking about from his context. You see, when Paul talks about the power, specifically the power of the gospel at work, Paul usually uses that phrase to mean the power that changes our lives. The power that takes a person dead in sin and makes them alive in Jesus Christ. He sees that as the greatest miracle ever. If we look at Romans 1, 16 and 17, he starts at the very beginning of this book. This is like his thesis statement for all of Romans. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God, a righteousness that is by, is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here what Paul is saying is the gospel was confirmed through miracles. The miracle is that people's lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying God never did other miracles. He clearly did. Acts is full of them. 
But I think we underestimate the power of the miraculous work of the gospel that changes a sinner from being dead in Christ to being adopted as a child of God. I think we ignore that. And so often we pray, God, why aren't you doing the same miracles that you did then? Do it again. Do it again. Do it now. And God's going, I am. You're it. My son died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. You've been brought over from death to life. I'm transforming you from your old way of thinking to your new way of thinking in line with my truth. You're the miracle. Show the world. God, uh, Paul saw himself in this way, that he was to go and tell people that this former Jewish leader had become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, the man that the Jewish leaders put on a cross. You talk about a changed life. And he also applauds the Thessalonians that they now have the same changed life. Paul uses it this way in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. We're not looking at this letter in the sermon series, but it's a follow-up letter to the letter that we are looking at. Paul says this, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. He says, you want to see God's work in your life? You want to see his power on display? Let God change your life. God's power had changed Paul. And then he went to Thessalonica and he told them his story and he shared the gospel with them. And he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. He says, you saw us. You saw our lives. You saw lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You witnessed it. And then, oh, the audacity of Paul. He says, you became imitators of us. Oh, Paul, as Christians, it's not about us. Like, we should never make it about us. Paul often says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul understood that part of the essential nature of being a Christian and being a minister for the gospel of Jesus Christ is to live as an example for others. And sometimes, under the guise of humility, which humility is good, but sometimes under the guise of humility, we say, oh, it's not about me. Don't look at me. Look at Christ. Oh, no, people are looking at us. And they're seeing the power of God at work in us or not. They're seeing the truth of the gospel on display in our lives or not. We become an example. That's how the gospel works in this world. It always has. God changes someone's life. Their life is transformed. They become a living demonstration of the gospel that others now see and hear. Our lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ are one of, is one of the greatest displays of God's power that he uses to bring other people to faith. Don't ever underestimate the power of God at work in your life and how we can use it. Because the Bible is full of testimonies of people that would have said, there's no way God can use me. And he does over and over again. So he gives all credit to God for the gospel work in his own life. He says to them, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul always pointed them to Christ. And then he says his life, or he basically is indicating that his life was like a sign pointing to Christ. They weren't just followers of Paul. They were followers of Christ because that was the example that he gave them. If your life has been changed by Jesus Christ, 
You are an echo of the gospel. You're the ongoing rumbling of the thunder of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in this world. Our lives become the message of the gospel. There's a famous quote that's usually attributed to Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. There's some good things about that. There's some not good things. One of them I found out is that there's really no evidence he ever said that. So take that for what it is. What I, I love, what I love about this quote is the idea that we need to demonstrate the gospel in our lives, not just talk about it. And that's powerful. And I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about. What I really take issue with with that quote is the if necessary. It is always necessary to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ through our words. The gospel is good news that must be shared. No one secondhand catches the gospel. You have to hear the truth. And so sometimes we don't live for the gospel and we need to be challenged in that. Sometimes we say, oh, I'm living for the gospel and I hope people catch it and turn to Jesus. They need us to tell them the gospel. Paul didn't just show up to cities and live a good life among them. He sat them down and said, let me tell you about Jesus. And let me tell you that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved by Jesus Christ and he died on the cross and rose again. The gospel must be spoken as well. So Paul points to his own ministry with the Thessalonians. It's a theme we're going to come back to through the rest of the book. He, he has to defend his ministry a couple times. But let's look now at how the thunderous gospel continues to ring out. Because in verses 6 through 10, Paul now turns. He's given all the credit to God. He's spoken a little bit about his own ministry. And now he's turning to them and the gospel's work in the Thessalonians. And the thunder continues to roll and ring out on and on and on. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says they became imitators of Paul and his associates. They, they saw their changed lives, how they lived, how they taught, and, and they saw that as a, a, something that they should follow. They trusted in the gospel even in their difficult situation. Remember, this is the city that ran Paul out. They rose up crowds. There was immense pressure in this city for people not to be a Christian. And, and I would imagine, and I think this is what Paul was thinking, if they persecuted me, how much more so the people that are living there and living their lives for Jesus Christ. He knew they were in a difficult situation, but they kept on holding on to faith. And then he says in verse 7, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. A model? I wonder what they thought when they heard that. Like, us? And Paul, we're just trying to like be a church. We're just trying to gather together and study the word and worship God and live it out in our lives. And he's like, you've become the example that God is holding up and saying, look at what I've done. You're the one that other people are seeing. Their faith and their changed lives are the continuation of the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So notice the pattern. God starts the gospel. He sent his son to die for us on the cross. Someone then is changed by Jesus, saved. That person's life becomes a testimony and the gospel begins to ring out. That person's life influences others. They turn to Jesus Christ. And now their life becomes a testimony and the gospel spreads on and on 
and on and on. This, this is how evangelism works in Scripture. This is how missions works in Scripture. I'll tell you numerous times throughout my ministry, I've heard people say, you know, I, my, my friend's asking questions. I'm wondering if I can bring them to you so maybe you can lead them to Christ. And I, that's awesome. would love to talk to your friends, but you're the missionary. You're the one that God has put in their life. You don't have to have all the answers. You need to tell them about Jesus Christ. Paul then says something amazing in verse 8. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.8. He says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, and and this is where I'm getting the the sermon series title from, Faith Out Loud, because he says it rang out from you. But look at what he says. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. And I read that passage and I was like, okay, Paul doesn't need to talk about their faith because, you know, everybody's heard it. Everybody's seen it. He doesn't need to tell everybody how great the Thessalonians are because everybody knows it. But what's interesting is that throughout the book of First Thessalonians and even Second Thessalonians, he does it over and over again. You guys are awesome in your faith. You're doing great. I don't think that's what he means here. See, what's interesting is that he says they have been changed and the message of their changed life has gone out in their surrounding area. What was Paul's mission? Paul's mission was to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. I think what Paul is saying here is, I don't need to do that where you live. I don't need to tell people about the gospel where you are because you're already doing it. They are fulfilling the mission that made Paul's heart pump, that drove him with everything that he's doing, and he gets to go on and share the gospel with others because they're doing such a great job of it. And I love that picture of Paul saying, God is so powerfully at work in you. I'm going to move on to another place. In verses 9 through 10, then he says, For they themselves, talking about the people in the area, report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from God to idol, to, uh, no, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They have turned from idols to God. This is what salvation is over and over in Scripture. It is a turning from, turning away from something, and turning to God. There were certain things they had accepted as true and natural and normal and just made sense in their world and in their lives, and they had to turn away from it. You see, in that world, if you were a farmer, you needed your crops to to grow, what did you do? Well, you go to the the oracle that represented the deity that helped you to grow crops and you offered a certain sacrifice or some money. You needed to have more children. Well, there was a place you could offer a sacrifice for that. This is the way their world worked. Now we look at that and go, oh, they should have known better. We're so much more modern and scientific. We would never do anything like that. We wouldn't offer to a statue or anything like that. Idolatry doesn't need a statue. It is trusting in anything and accepting that this is the way that we get what we want. And scripture says we need to turn away from that and instead trust in 
God, his way, his purposes, his priority. And that's what they have done. And this is why the whole world is hearing about them, because they're a bunch of weirdos now. Their, their whole society is hearing about these people that don't serve the same gods and goddesses that they do. They're not living the same way because of this guy, Jesus Christ. What's up with that? Sometimes as Christians, I think we're weird for the wrong reasons and we're not weird enough for the right reasons. The gospel of Jesus Christ is out of sync with this world. It won't make sense to them. And those trusting in Jesus Christ, we're going to look weird for trusting in Christ. We're going to look weird for not uh, going after all the modern textbooks or all the doctors or all the philosophers. We're going to look weird when we don't change and shift as the world shifts opinion on every different topic. We're going to look weird. And that's okay. We need to be a living demonstration of trusting in Jesus Christ. And he ends this passage with a very important theme throughout the rest of this letter. He says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They knew that this world was not all there was. And so all that pressure to conform to this world, to change their ideas, to fit their world, and maybe you felt some of that as well. They knew that world was not all there was. Jesus Christ, their savior and king was coming back and he was going to reign forever. And throughout this letter, Paul challenges them and encourages them and applauds them for living in light of the truth that Jesus is coming back. People who are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ become part of the ongoing gospel work in this world. And it is miraculous. And each one of us has that ability because that's how God works in us. And he uses you and your family in your workplaces, in our cities, in our cultures, in our nation. He uses us as examples of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are part of the continuing thunderous work of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the echoes continue today until Christ returns. What that means is that if you are a Christian, you are not a spectator in the mission of the gospel. You are not sitting on the sidelines so that other people can do the work of the gospel. You are not simply here to support those who are doing the work of the gospel. You have been called to do the work of the gospel. You are God's plan for the evangelism of the world, for the mission work of taking the gospel around the world, and even what might be harder for some of us to our own friends and our own family. We are the work of the gospel in this world as God works within us. I wonder, is the gospel ringing out in our lives today? Is it possible that we have become ashamed or maybe just unaware of the changes that God is working in our lives? Are we afraid of living out of sync with our world and so we just try to get along, fly under the radar? And unfortunately, what happens is the world is missing out on a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling with that and you're thinking, yeah, I kind of do that. I want you to hear today, the gospel is powerful, more powerful than any thunderclap throughout history. The gospel is powerful. 
And we need to know the power of the gospel. Study it. Learn about it. Pray about it. Mull it over in our lives. Live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Trust that that power is at work in us. And that it can change the lives of those around us. Even those people, especially those people, that everybody would have said, there's no way. Not that person. Start with giving God all the credit for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remind yourself over and over in prayer, thank God for what he has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Let the gospel ring out in your life. Change your life. When people ask you, why are you the way that you are? Tell them it's because of Jesus. Finally, seek to be an example to others. Live your life that others might see. It's our our mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as as the church here, Orchard Community Church, that that's exactly what we would do. And we do. And I applaud you for that. We wrestle with these things together. We work on showing love. And it's hard at times, and it's messy at times. But people see it. And I hear over and over again people that come through the church and they say, there's something about the people there. I want to know what that is. And I truly believe, as wonderful as you all are, I truly believe that what they're seeing is actually the power of the gospel at work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your power at work in us. It's so easy to feel defeated and overwhelmed. It's so easy to fall into those traps of thinking it just doesn't matter what we do or say. It's easy to feel hopeless, whether it's in our own situations or or watching situations of others. And sometimes we struggle with situations in our own life and we think, "I, I don't even know how to get through this. How am I supposed to be a demonstration of the gospel? But so often, it is in those moments of desperately crying out to you and holding on to faith that we are a great demonstration of the gospel. Not because we're perfect or so strong or doing everything right, but because we are trusting in you no matter what. And I pray, Father, for each one here, may we see our lives as an echo of the gospel, a living, breathing demonstration that you are at work. May we be the miracle that others see, that they look at us and say, there's no way that could happen unless there is a God in heaven and that we might point them to your son, Jesus Christ, and share the gospel with them. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.